so I, uh, I've been reading a lot of the, cause you know, my, my novel that I'm working on is sort of a loose, uh, and very blasphemous retelling of the new Testament. And, uh, and like, you know, it's one of those things when you're reading it, you know, it's like, I mean, the, the Bible is full of all sorts of contradictions. It's a, it's a, a collection of different books written by all sorts of different people. But, uh, right. but you know, the thing that I, that I come away with most is that the thing that I see mentioned the most times is like how you shouldn't charge interest on loans more so than anything else. And, and no, uh, no fundamentalist has ever, uh, you know, screamed about how people charging interest are going to hell. So, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. you always know, a little tongue in cheek. So, yeah. Oh, I need to read that again. Yeah. Yeah. Usury. Yeah. Huh? Did they call it usury or something like that? Yeah. Usury. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's one of those, one of those things that's, you know. Is it uh, none I mean, whatsoever or no unreasonable interest? I'm sorry? Is it none whatsoever or not, or is it reasonable? Oh, no, it's supposed to be like none whatsoever. As, as far as I know, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not okay. a, a biblical historian. So, okay, exactly. uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's where a lot of the sort of, um, you know, a lot of the stereotypes about, Jewish people and, and money lending comes from because, you know, Christians weren't allowed to do that and, uh, and, and Jewish merchants could. And so, um, you know, that's, that's where a lot of that sort of got a reputation comes yeah. from. Yeah. Well, it's not, that wouldn't be the last, uh, miss, uh, well, and Jesus kicked them out of the temple to come out of yeah. that. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those interesting things. Like I think, uh, you know, I actually like, I mean, as, as a collection of stories, I think, uh, the Bible and also like, I've been reading a lot of the Gnostic stuff too, um, the sort of apocrypha that, you know, stories about Jesus that weren't included in the Bible. And I think like, um, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I think if you studied those the same way you study like, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey, like, um, you, you would see like sort of just the, the levels of interpretation you can get to and the differences of stuff, but because they're so tied up in this religious tradition, they kind of get, uh, right. avoided a lot of that sort of curiosity about them, you know. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of that's sort of the opinion that I'm coming to. I think they have a lot of rich, interesting. Some of it useful, some of it not. But you know, it's just I think yeah. also that it's like you know, um, if you imagine a culture that's like pre pre science and 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 you know a lot of a lot of the stuff that we interpret as mystical is is it's actually kind of a rational, logical way of trying to intuit you know sort of what's happening without the you know a different type of you know scientific sort of uh what they call in the academic world a heuristic which just means you know a type of analysis you know and so um so i think you can like that's what i got i guess i'm trying to it's a similar thing in like judgment day right with this novel i'm trying to sort of um look at how like religion in a lot of ways or at least the spiritual practices that led up to religion uh in the early christian church were, were you know about trying to interpret the national i'm sorry the, the natural world in sort of a, a logical or rational way and then you know yeah. Uh, because we're so far removed from that culture, we read a lot of the sort of, you know, really like uh, magical stuff into it in some ways, I think. But, you know, it's, it's, but, you know, it's, I remember I took a class in college that the entire premise of the class was that Jesus was a military leader. And it was a night school class. And they have this, remember that building on the corner of the campus of University of Cincinnati, Aaron, the one that looked like a blooming flower, like that tall yeah. building? With the uh, the top of it branched out like this, it's like an architectural marvel, I guess. Was it like but, a Powell Crosley building or something. Yeah, but inside it was decrepit and crappy, kind of like the um, kind of like the, high, the Norwood High School utility building 
you know, where yeah. they had home ec and all that crap. Yeah. But anyway, the clothes. Yeah, it was like the, it was tucked away in the corner of the university. I felt like it was like it was night. It was dank in there. It was like I felt like we were doing something, you know, naughty, naughty, risque. Yeah, sinister. <laughs> and the teacher was very, you know, she was she may have been Wiccan or something. I don't know. I didn't. I don't. I think I. Jesus is a military leader taught by a Wiccan. I think I. That's a fascinating. I think course. I bailed after like three classes or something. Mm-hmm. I didn't go back. But, uh, well, there- there's um there's a few different interpretations because you know we don't have a lot of the historical context for where those stories come from, but there's sort of three different threads and and one of them there's a Jesus is sort of you know leading some type of revolutionary movement and then uh and there's also like you know ancient Jewish scripture that talks a lot about like sort of um you know they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah but they believed the Messiah was coming and they believed that he would be a sort of liberatory you know revolutionary type of figure but there's also yeah. I'll go ahead, Lisa. See him as a revolutionary, definitely. Yeah, kind of MLK. I mean, it's easy to see how the the details would have been um, more, more MLK than Pol Pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah segue. One one hopes so. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So okay. yeah, we we were interested in having you back not only because you were a good guest and uh, we we vibe with you, you know, everything was cool. But mm-hmm. because actually we've got more, we got more listens off of your episode than any other episode we've had. So we have ulterior yeah. motive to have you back too. <laughs> but but yeah. Yeah. that's for him. But no, it's really good to have, have you back. And I'm really looking forward to this one. Mm-hmm. I have to say right from the top that if Ween was not Lisa's bag, then <laughs> it's not even her supermarket. Yeah, <laughs> you know she could not last, but she could not hang. It very just long. sounds like no, 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 no. Yeah, we get the picture. That's all I hear. Don't do that again. The face. I do. I think you mentioned last time being a big fan of Weird Al, and I think like Jello Biafra is doing a much darker, yeah, sort of version of that. But but you know, Kenny's do a lot of sort of interesting cover songs that make fun of earlier songs. Maybe if they weren't going ninety miles an hour while, uh, you know. Well, we saw the know. documentary and and we were watching. Yeah. I was like, watch, watch him. You know, he was crazy. You know, uh-huh. uh, yeah, he this. reminds me of Robert Downey Jr. when he was on drugs. It, it was very entertaining. He was a great front man as far as Robert you know, Downey Jr. The, could have been Jello ba- Jello Baffrey, Biafri, whatever his yeah. name is. <laughs> hey, I was close. Right. Closer so, than you'd well, expect me to be half an hour ago. There's definitely well, a sense of humor. No, you know, you, you t- mentioned Weird Al. There's definitely a, a sense of humor. Humor behind their lyrics. Well, and could yeah. I understand their lyrics at all? I would probably find them just well, I don't, darn funny. I don't know so much about humor mm-hmm. behind the lyrics. Mm-hmm. But let's get into that. You know, There's a lot of politics. But just okay. his presence. Well, humor in, the, yeah, uh-huh, it's dark humor. It's yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Yeah Uh-huh with Lisa. And Phil. And our frequent flyer co-host Aaron from California. Boy, his arms must be tired. Word. This week we're talking about the Dead Kennedys fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. And we have with us one of our favorite guests, Mike. Philbig. Returning champion. Yeah, hello. And Mike is uh, the author of yeah. the book. Mike's cool. book is Judgment Day and Other White Lies. Yeah. And it's out there for everyone. Yeah. But today we're talking about the dead Kennedys, fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. Jello Biafri, lead vocals. East Bay Ray, guitarist. 
Klaus Fluoride Bass, Ted Drums until 79, D.H. Pelligro Drums, 6025 Rhythm Guitar. You may be shocked that those are not their birth names. Those are nom de plumes. Have you seen that commercial with John Hamm where Flo calls him Uh Tom Hamm? Yes. (laughs) It's called Jell-O Biafra. It's Biafra. Okay. I I don't think I'm that far off. (laughs) Tom versus John versus Biafra. I mispronounced it. Okay. Okay. But it's not, it, it, is that part his real name? No, no. So that's, that's actually, I think, uh, worth talking about in sort of a lead up. So, so Jello obviously is the, you know, after the food Jello, but Biafra was, uh, a, a nation that, that tried to secede from, uh, Nigeria, uh, in the, I want to say late sixties, early seventies. And, uh, and, you know, America and Britain helped the, Nigerian government essentially starved the people that, that caused that secession to death. And so, uh, it's sort of a, you know, as we were mentioning dark humor, it's sort of a, a darkly humorous name. You have jello, which is this sort of food that's, you know, void of, of real nutritional value of, of any sort and, and, you know, sort of juxtaposed with this genocide and, and, uh, history that, you know, uh, the American government helped support. So, yeah. So the irony. That, that's yeah. a recurring theme throughout the, you know, band's history, it seems. Mm-hmm. Irony. Their, their lyrics are, you know, dripping with irony. Um, well, and a lot of dead babies. Yeah. And a lot of dead babies, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of, yeah. Um, so how did you get introduced? You know, you may, I'm sure you were probably a fan in the moment, right? Or no, Mike, you're not old enough probably to have been. Mm-hmm. No, actually, I was, I was born two years after this album came out. So, uh, uh, I was, I was, uh, uh, I guess I was in, in middle school. I had, a, you know, one of my really good friends at the time, Matt, uh, and I were going to start a band and he was like, you should, you should play bass because nobody plays bass. So I bought a bass and we just started listening to a bunch of old records and just sort of stumbled into the, uh, into the dead Kennedys at, you know, a time of our lives where we're sort of these weird kids and, and sort of predisposed to, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we had any real political awareness, but we, you know, sort of had a sort of like idea that things weren't quite right. And, uh, and the Dead Kennedys just really spoke to that. And I think, uh, I think this is one of those albums that, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's politically of a very specific moment, sort of the Reagan years and the, and, and the sort of things that were happening in the country at that time. But I think a lot of the themes he talks about are still really present, uh, in today's political spectrum. And I think the, the Dead Kennedys have that sort of, timeless feel in some ways, even though they are this sort of political punk band of a, of a specific moment in time. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just sort of, it, Jello's voice was just so original and interesting and East Bay Ray's guitar sound is, uh, I think really unique in a lot of ways. And, and it's just sort of like nothing I'd ever heard before. And, and I just was like sort of really drawn to it. So, yeah. I, I first heard them. I, I first, I should say my first exposure to it was in 1987 on a bus going to Cleveland. Um, we were, I worked at a Domino's pizza in Cincinnati and me and my boss and two coworkers were, were, I don't know, paid like 150 bucks each or something. And it got us this on this tour bus going to, it covered our room, football ticket and, you know, everything. And as we're getting on the bus, my boss uh, takes out these hits of acid and gives them to each of us. 
And while I'm on the, while I'm on this bus, um, one of my coworkers is telling me all about fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. He's doing kill the poor, bouncing up and down in his seat. You know, he just, he's kept going on and on about it. So, uh, and he, he probably touched on six or seven of the songs. And then, you know, in a week or two later, I got a hold of the CD. And that's when I first checked out. Well, the name of it is Aaron's Audio Audibles. And the meaning for that is, you know, there's these are albums that I'm not that familiar with. Even though I lived through the time, 1980, I was very much alive and uh, listening to, you know, know, more classic rock and stuff like that. You know, it was going on. You were getting into Susie and the Banshees and stuff, too, though. You weren't strictly classic rock. And I knew, you know, I knew uh, Nevermind the Bollocks, Sex Pistols album, and the Maroons, the Ramones. Well, yeah, the Ramones. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I listened to some pop rock, yeah, definitely. Blondie. But and then it, you know, Blondie, yeah, mm-hmm. um, New Wave. The uh, what's his name? Yeah. Bowie? You know the one. Uh, no, well, yeah, you were into Bowie. You were into, uh, but uh, who else do you talk about a lot? Um, Lou Reed. Yes, Lou Reed. Yeah. that's what I was thinking of. Right. So yeah, yeah. yeah but th- <laughs> but we're talking about maybe one of the top three punk. Most important punk rock albums there is, along with uh, the Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bollocks, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. I'm trying to remember what the third one was. I think it might have been a Ramones album or something that I read today. That, that some author, you know, someone's opinion, but obviously it's mar- part of the consciousness. It's there, you know, it's ranked. Yeah, yeah uh, it's definitely, it's definitely in the. I think in the wheelhouse of you know I think those those yeah. three bands would be on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Bad Brains, I think, from D.C. Um, are, are pretty big, um, or at least in, in my in my sort of echelon, uh, uh, you know, some of the some of the Black Flag stuff uh, uh, early on, especially the stuff with Keith Morris, I think is really cool. And, and you know, it's just um, but yeah, the Dead Kennedys, uh, uh, you know, I think I mean, you know, punk was always a political genre, but the sort of overt sort of um, satirizing of the, you know, politicians in charge and that sort of thing, I think was sort of in a lot of ways an invention of the, of the dead Kennedys and a lot of bands have gone on to do it. But um, uh, I mean, there might've been somebody, some, some other people doing it before, but and they were, they were really sort of, um, um, I mean, some old folk musicians like Phil Ox and stuff, things like that as well. But I mean, I think they were like, they really contributed something big to what's you know come to be known as political punk, uh, which, which I think is sort of an interesting yeah. term because it feels a little redundant to me but 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 you know they, they did have a sort of overtness about them that was um that went beyond just like the overtness that punk rock already was yeah yeah and more more political in most punk i think too especially since yeah. you know, he ran for mayor of san francisco yeah. against right. diane feinstein who is yeah. still a senator actually so yeah and finished fourth apparently <laughs> Which is not a bad showing, you know. Yeah, consider fourth out of fourth out of ten or something. Well, yeah, and um, it's pretty. Fun. You can go find the like his uh, his platform. He has some really funny stuff. One thing I intend to do though is bring government out from behind closed doors by um, auctioning off all high city positions by the Civic Center fountain rather than public deals or private deals behind the public's back like we have now. For those of them who have seen my candidacy as a publicity stunt or a joke, they should keep in mind that it is no more of a joke and no less of a joke than anyone else they care to name. Actually, the, the cover for Fresh Fruits, Rotting Vegetables is like uh, this, this cop car on fire, and it's from uh, a riot that happened after Dan White uh, killed Harvey Milk, who was running 
for mayor of, of San Francisco. Uh, he was the first, you know, openly gay man to run for mayor in America. And, uh, when he was murdered by a cop. He used the famous sort of Twinkie defense that he ate too many Twinkies and, uh, and, and lost his mind. So, yeah. uh, so anyways, and he got off. And so Joe will be after part of his platform was that he wanted to erect statues of Dan White in the city and, uh, and put out eggs and tomatoes and rocks for people to throw at them. And then he also had stuff like he wanted to ban cars in the city limits and just all sorts of like pretty, um, like, like, like the dead Kennedys were, right? Like sort of joking things that like might actually should be taken seriously in some regards, right? But, um, but sort of just exposing sort of the, the, um, the rot in politics in general. And, and, and the campaign was, you know, finishing fourth and, you know, he got a lot more votes than just people in the punk scene. So there were, you know, a lot of people dissatisfied sort of with the local politics in San Francisco at the time. So yeah, it's. Yeah, he mentioned auctioning off city jobs in the public square instead of doing it in private. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's, um, I can see why he got a few votes there in San yeah. Francisco for sure. You know, but <laughs> I, I vote for him here. Yeah. Um, with ideas like that. But the, why not? I mean, a little bit of a discussion of how the band originated. I don't think it's any, you know, it's not like a, a great story or anything, but uh, East Bay Ray. An ad in a magazine or something, right? Yeah. He put an ad in a magazine and hung up an ad at a local record store. Well, there was a there was a club there called the the or Fob club. Mob. Um, it was a Filipino restaurant. It was basically like the CBGBs of San Francisco. And Ray went there and he saw a band called the Weirdos. And um, it, it awoke something in him. Um, he's a California guy. He very, very much uh, his guitar playing was very. Uh, like the surf sound, you know, and a lot of his, uh, inspirations were like the Rolling Stones, uh, I guess the Ventures. Um, he even had some eclectic, uh, interests like in the Ohio Players and Merle Haggard. I listened to an interview with him today where he was talking about his eclectic interests and he would in Pink Floyd, you know, and his eclectic interests sort of conflicted with Jello's really radical hatred of hippies. And everything that was from the sixties. I mean, he absolutely was, you know, he kind of defined the punk of the time that wanted to completely wipe the earth of that type of thinking. I saw a uh, a meme the other day, which is you know all overgeneralized as memes tend to be, but I thought it was pretty funny. It was uh, a meme that said, you know, uh, hippies are bad people pretending to be good, and punks are good people pretending to be bad. And, uh, and like, uh, you know, it's all, it's always, you know, overgeneralized and that sort of thing. But, uh, but, you know, there's like infamous stories about like, you know, deadheads just like trashing clubs and, and being a big pain in the ass for like the bartenders that worked there. And I guess punks did a lot of that same thing, but it was sort of like more in the spirit of punk rock. But yeah, I just thought it was, I thought it was funny. I thought it was sort of apropos for the, for the episode on the dead can. <laughs> so I was, I put that in the back of my mind. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, he put out these uh, newspaper ads and Jello responded and um, the bassist responded. Um, Klaus. Fluoride, Klaus Fluoride. Um, a couple other guys who didn't really last very long, like what's the name? 6025 was part of, we played rhythm guitar originally and they, they performed a few gigs at that club. Um, and, and then we, t- we talked about Biafra running for mayor. But, you know, eventually they came out with their first single. You know, California Uberalis came out before the album that we're about to discuss was released. 
as a single. Or was it Holiday in Cambodia? If it is, then I stand corrected. I, I thought Holiday in Cambodia was like a hit single before the record. I don't know. One or the other. Yeah, it's one or the other. It came out on a 45. Yep. But in between 1980 and the release of Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables in 1986, they released three other albums, the most infamous of which may have been Frank- Frankenchrist because of the imagery that was on the album cover. In that imagery, uh, a 13-year-old girl apparently purchased the album in a record store, took it home to mom. She saw it, and it you know, erupted into a lawsuit that entangled the band. They became no, you know, strangers to litigation over the course of their years. But this was like their first big battle in court over. Was, uh, that was actually, it, was, it wasn't the cover. It was like an insert, I believe. Um, but it was, uh, it was designed by H.R. Geiger, who did all the artwork for like the alien uh, movies and stuff. So, um, and it was like a, you know, it's a landscape of penises, but it's like a weird sci-fi looking thing. It's it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as very vulgar or derogatory. It seems more like it was something they went after them for because they didn't like their politics more so than uh, right. the artwork itself. Yeah. It was the hair and the ass of that mother though. And she, she took him to task over it. And and I think Biafra was in court. He was, a, he was, him and another individual were the last two that were involved in the case. And I think they, I don't know if they settled or what, but. You know, the band did have, over the course of their history, they had uh, a dispute over um, the royalties. Balfour didn't feel like he was getting enough of the royalties. That was, as far as I understand, what happened was that they, well, it's hard to say. The band says that he, he was he was sort of doing it on purpose. He claims that it was uh, that he was, you know, just made an accounting mistake, you know, but... They, they released their first, so I just looked it up. They released their first single was California Uberalis and Holiday in Cambodia was also a single shortly after. Uh, but like, so after the first single, everything else they released, they released on an imprint called Decay Music. The first single was on Alternative Tentacles, which became Jello Biafra's record label. And then after they split up, the band started distributing through Alternative Tentacles and claim as he raised the prices he never raised the royalty payments and he claims that they were settling that dispute without legal involvement and then they came to him and wanted to do a levi's commercial using holiday in cambodia and he didn't want to quote unquote sell out and uh and and so he claims that the band did that band claims that they never did it it's really hard to tell you know i think probably on both sides there's a little bit of uh exaggerating of the circumstances of what happened you know and who's responsible but I know the, the remaining members eventually did win that lawsuit against him and he was had to pay him like a couple hundred thousand dollars or something. But um and they still tour as the Dead Kennedys without him singer and it's uh I actually saw them live uh in that arrangement. I wanna say probably it's probably been geez, fifteen years ago now at this point, but uh it wasn't it wasn't I didn't find it to be all that great. So uh uh you know, he's sort of the I think the the real centerpiece and attraction of the band. Uh, you know, I mean, East Bay Ray's guitar There's sound. Still well. room for Jello. Yeah. Yeah, right. Still room for Jello. Yeah. Yeah. The, the footage and documentary of him is just kind of mesmerizing. The, the shit that he, you know, just the, the gestures he makes and, and the way he takes the joint from the, the, the uh, kid <laughs> and it takes a hit and then he's like all lit, you know, <laughs> and then he's like, you know, I mean, he's just, uh, you can't keep your eyes off of him. He was a great, I thought he was a really good front man, you know, especially for the genre. Uh, so it's hard to imagine another you know, singer, you know, pulling it off like that, but you know, um, I, I haven't seen him. 
be tough to find another single with that vibrato, that warble, whatever it is he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw a recent uh, uh, tweet from Biafra, and he was alluding to East Bay Ray and all of the S's in East Bay, which I guess is only one, but the, it was dollar sign. <laughs> so they don't like each other very much anymore. Um, I know when the when the presidential election was happening, the dead Kennedys tweeted out from there, which is, you know, the other three members, not Jello anymore, tweeted out from their account, something in support of Joe Biden. And he was he really went after them uh, pretty hard for that. And so, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and so like, yeah, he's 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 still he's still I, I think he's still probably more in the sort of uh, leftist warehouse of politics than uh and by leftist, I mean sort of further left than sort of the typical liberal political stance that we have in America. But you know, that then other of the band members are. But uh, but yeah, so it's 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 been. But it was an ugly breakup, that's for sure. And they're not, uh, as far as I know, they still sort of talk a lot of smack about each other anytime one or the other does an interview. <laughs> so yeah, like that's probably not happening. It's not happening. They're probably not coming together at this point. But. Do you think you mentioned alternative tentacles and that started me thinking, you know, it's such a seminal band and you think about college radio from the nineties and it started to develop this alternative name. You think that that may have derived from that? I mean, did that label take on that type of very status where it might've influenced? I think the tentacle, I mean, like I, I just imagine the tentacle reference to being something to like Cthulhu from, you know, HP Lovecraft and like, you know, sort of, um, yeah. I mean, Jello, Jello Biafra was always really uh, big on like not liking mainstream entertainment. Uh, like a pre one of my one of my favorite Dead Kennedy songs on uh, Frankenchrist. It's called MTV Get Off the Air, and uh, you know he's he's uh, he thinks that you should think for yourself, and that you know art should be have some sort of political message, and that you know art that doesn't is just sort of like promoting status quo. And uh, so I think you know uh, I think the label comes from from that. So sort of like you know all have sort of worms in our brain in some sense from you know whatever media we consume and i think he, he believes you should consume alternative forms of media because if you're consuming the mainstream you know media or ma- mainstream entertainment you're sort of consuming the the mainstream narrative which which he obviously believes is pretty deeply flawed right um but that label is pretty iconic as well so uh i think the i think they put out the first butthole surfers record which is uh you know uh, pretty famous band from Texas, uh, who are sort of a weird art rock trippy sort of drug band. And, uh, you know, they've, they've seen, seen the butthole surfers twice. And I saw bad brains open for the beastie boys going back yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, butthole surfers were known for sort of their really crazy live shows back in the day. I and, also uh, saw him at Lollapalooza. He was with ministry and it was the last show of the tour. And Eddie Vedder and Anthony Kiedis snuck up behind Gibby and pulled his pants down. So I saw Gibby naked on stage. <laughs> yeah. The lead singer for uh, Butthole Surfers. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. So, and speaking of ministry, you know, Jello Biafra was in a band with Al Jorgensen from Lard. Uh, and, uh, and it's got, a, yeah, I, I really like that Lard. out. Yeah. I, I really like Lard. They have, a, I mean, the, it sounds fairly close to what Ministry does, but with Jello Biafra singing, so it has that. Um, but he's kind of, you know, Instead he's, he's putting on a little less of, yeah, a little less of like the the nasally punk stuff and more, you know, sort of. I mean, he's really he's really hitting it in that in that group. And I'm just, uh, and yeah, I, you know, Ministry of course did that that song where they looped the 
New World Order track from uh, George Bush Sr. Uh, into it. And so, you know, they've always had a pretty left political... We're not about to make that same mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Alternative Tentacles, you know, they they, they put out a New lot of World different, different stuff. They worked, they've done some stuff, I believe, with uh, with Mike Patton from Faith No More and, and uh, you know, the Melvins. They've done some stuff. Mojo Nixon, who's a, a psychobilly um, a musician, who's also done some films. And uh, yeah, so they, you know, he's, he was responsible for sort of promoting a lot of different bands from some pretty uh, weird corners of the of the underground music world. So um, yeah, I mean, I think the I'm not sure if the alternative from Alternative Tentacles influenced what later came to be known as alternative music, but I think it's definitely a label that's influential on that type of music. And so yeah. We should probably just, uh, we should probably take a break here. And we're back. So, um, we should mention before we plow into the song. Yeah, with a love spare. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, this album's going to be re-released, remastered and released, I think on the 30th of September. So really? we're right on the brink of that happening. And, uh, you know, of course the bands heard it and, uh, and, and somehow Jello's heard it and he doesn't like it. And not surprisingly, he says, you know, I forget what the, the quote was, but he's just, uh, they're just at odds. So, um, probably he's worried that he's not getting his cut from it or something. I don't know. But I anyway, what they, how, what they did in the remastering is different. Yeah. I, we're, we're about to Oftentimes find out. Sometimes they I guess. don't do much of anything different. Sometimes hard to notice. So. Yeah. Let's go. Let's just break this album down a little bit. Let's, um, one of the, you know, the, one of the most important songs in most albums is the in, the first song. The first song on the album is Kill the Poor, um, which we've talked about a little bit already. But let's go ahead and play a little bit of that. sample of that um when i you know obviously if you take it literally it's terrible <laughs> you know um i think one of the quotes that um ray had was that uh the heads of state of some third world country heard it and actually sent them a sincere thank you for the advice and that they might use that or something <laughs> but um but really it's satire they're gonna they're gonna develop a neutron bomb yeah, yeah, the neutron bomb, which Too late America did that, which doesn't destroy buildings; it just destroys people, right? The neutron bomb. So that's, that's yeah. the idea. Yeah. It's a small explosion and a lot of radiation. Yeah, and the first the first lyric on the on the album is "efficiency and progress," and uh, mm-hmm. and he's talking about the neutron bomb in the context. It's this progress because you can kill people without destroying property, and uh, and I think you know I think that. Um, you know, in terms of satire, right, that, 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 that efficiency and progress, I think has only, uh, this idea of efficiency and progress has only grown 
more pronounced in our culture. And, uh, and I think there's something really prescient about the way that that line is delivered just to sort of start the album off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, if nothing else, you can refer to ready player one. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of times we give lips. I mean, I think this is what, um, you know, when y'all, when y'all asked me on back onto the show and, and we're talking about doing a music episode, cause y'all recognized in my first book, there's a lot of discussion of music in it and, and music definitely influences what I do. And I've played in a lot of bands throughout my life. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think like why I want to do that. Well, one, I'm working on a, a new novel that's like taking place in Southern California in the 1980s. And so, and, and it's almost sort of a, a satire that's like sort of a, in some ways, a literal interpretation of California Uber Alice, but, uh, it's still pretty rough. So I don't, you know, have, I don't have like a whole, whole lot. It's, it's still taking shape. But, um, but like, you know, I think that that, that, you know, my first book would in a lot of ways was about sort of blowing some holes in, in the, the comfortable ways Americans like to think of progress, right? And, and, and rethinking some of the things and looking at the way stuff perpetuates itself through time. And I think, you know, we think about Trumpism, right? Like the Dead Kennedys are really, I think, at their core calling out Reaganism. And, uh, and I, and I think there's a, just a lot of parallels to Trumpism and Reaganism that, I think are, are in a lot of ways a cycle repeating itself. Um, there's a, a, another podcast, a, a sort of a left wing political podcast called Behind the Bastards, and they recently did an episode on, on Clarence Thomas, sort of where he came from. He worked in the Reagan administration for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, sort of as a henchman who was men, made to like sort of dismantle it. And uh, they include include a lot of quotes from like you know behind the scenes tapes they took from the Oval Office during Reagan's years and, and a lot of it is just as vulgar and sort of overtly gross as things that you know Trump said that a lot of Americans took issue with and I think we like to pretend that Trump's an anomaly but I, you know I think that you know so I think in a lot of ways I don't think that they've yeah. made no progress but in a lot of ways like we, we sometimes claim more progress than we truly deserve to to claim so yeah so well and the song um I think it alludes to during the administration uh, that was Reagan Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Reagan. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, they released to the streets and it's in essence, you they are, it's those a, hospitals and took away their funding. It's sort of a death sentence, mm-hmm. you know, to some of these people and, and I, to people that they victimize. Right. Because of their mental illness. So in an indirect way, you know, that, that is killing the poor right there. I mean, I think of my mm-hmm. sister actually, and she's not, she's yeah. not here anymore. She didn't really get the health that she, she didn't needed. Get the- I mean, COVID in a lot of ways, right? Like, you know, that it was like a, the politicians, you know, sort of just ignored it in many ways and, uh, and did so because, you know, the, the, you know, the, the people most affected by it were poor people, right? They lived in more condensed areas and had less access to healthcare, right? And so, um, you know, I mean, um, you know, I'm not sure in every case it was quite as cynical as that, but I think, yeah. you know, when, where interests are served, right? With, you know, there's a, there's a blind eye turned. I mean, like Jello has that line in the song. It says, Convince the liberals it's okay. <laughs> like we're going to kill Jane Fonda. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and so I think, you know, um, I think that's one of the things that Dead Kennedy sort of, you know, point to that, you know, there's, there's this thing in liberal politics of patting yourself on the back and defending the poor. And, you know, uh, it doesn't actually happen in meaningful ways. It's always sort of a symbolic <laughs> gesture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then the next track, you know, it's kind of the first one was kind of like this will offend you. This was kind of like making their case right off the top. This album will offend you, you know, and 
the second track forward to death i thought there was a you know it's, it's a good song it's a good rock song um great drum roll and everything but there were a number of tracks in the album that i thought just kind of reinforced the message of you know of discord and um you know anti-establishment uh sentiments protest for protest's sake right almost. but there, there are songs that are more uh you know like when you get drafted i thought was was very good also and kind of you know putting a mirror on um younger people and their apathy and you know obsessed with partying and uh, being ba- basically vapid kind of uh, points a finger back at uh his peers you know joe's peers the band's peers yeah i mean i think I think we all, I mean, I think, or at least I, I've felt it many times in my life, right? That, that, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably, uh, more politically active than average and still feel like considering the circumstances, I'm often way, <laughs> way underdoing it, you know, but you know, it's like, it's, uh, it gets hard and, you know, you have to live your life and, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I remember feeling very creeped out by you know, the draft was already gone by the time I was aged to sign up for the selective service, but, you know, he's still, or, is that what it's called? I forget. But yeah, I yeah. mean, that's like, uh, you know, that was, that's still really a creepy thing. Like, you know, we could reinstitute yeah. this at any moment and, you know, I'd be held accountable to this, you know, <laughs> thing that I had to register for, you know, and, and, uh, and very much did not want to join them. You know, I took a, I took the ASVAB in high school just to, to get out of a class that I didn't like going to. And I kept getting all these military recruitment phone calls and mm-hmm. I'm like this young punk rock kid and, Deciding to lecture the recruiters on like what the American military does overseas is probably just as, you know, getting me put on some kind of watch list or something. But, you know, it was like, uh, uh, you know, it was like, it was pretty, uh, you know, I remember being creeped out by that. I think that song sort of speaks to that. And, you know, uh, I think it would be really hard for a politician to really advocate for something like that. But, uh, but, you know, um, you never really know and, and you never really know the way the world turns. And I think we're, I think we're past the point of most leaders of nation states really being brash enough to try to start a war as big as something like a world war three, but tensions escalate, things happen and then, you know, a mistake happens and all of a sudden you're embroiled in something and you need bodies. Right. And and yeah, and that's still there. Yeah. Yeah. We get to the fourth track on the album. Let's lynch the landlord. Uh, I'm not for that one. (laughs) Back to when you get drafted. I'm, I just want to say my favorite line is if you can't afford a slick attorney, you might make you a spy. <laughs> right. That's the last line, right? I don't know if it's the last one, but it's, yeah. it's, it's toward the last verse. Yeah. yeah. But, um, let's lynch the landlord. Uh, Mike, you mentioned that as one that you thought, uh, is definitely yeah. worth taking a look at. So let's, if it's worth taking a look at, it's worth taking a listen. <laughs> Let's win some land, Lord. Let's win some land, Lord. 
wanted to leave that in there because that's such a good guitar solo. You don't hear that type of thing in a lot of punk rock songs. Yeah, so, you know, I think um, Mr. Ray's guitar sound is really cool. And, uh, you know, um, punk is sort of known for distortion. And it's not that the, the Dead Kennys do use distortion, but there are a lot of tracks where East Bay Ray's just going clean tone and just driving the reverb and, uh, and turning the speaker all the way out. So it's like a bit muffled, but it's not like a distortion through a distortion pedal the same way that other uh, punk bands do it. He um, has that real surfy sound, as you mentioned earlier. I think that, that song, I think, is just like musically one of the, the best songs on the album. But also, I mean, like, so, you know, I think they're, again, being pretty overt, right? But, um, you know, there, it's, there's a, a recurrent trend in sort of leftist politics that, you know, landlording is sort of wage extraction and taking money for something you didn't work for, right? And and uh, and uh And I think that there are levels of exploitation. I think everybody's got to survive and the sort of cap society as it exists but um i think it's something that that leftists like to call attention to because i think the the trope is that people with a lot of money worked hard to get it right and that uh and that you know in actuality right that like you know if you, if you get yourself to a certain level you can buy property that then makes money for you without actually having to work for it. and oftentimes we overlook like the cashier working you know three jobs and getting overtime you know to try to keep the lights on right and is is working 13 hours a day doing a job that's you know quote unquote unskilled right is that you know not working hard in the same way that like a ceo sitting in meetings and making hard decisions is considered that right so yeah uh, in some in some instances landlords don't even work hard enough to come and show their property off to rent it like next door yeah <laughs> we've come home twice in the last week they're trying to rent the house next door and there's somebody out in the park you know out in the driveway and i'm like what's what's, what's up you know and they're like well, I can't get hold of the guy that's supposed to give me access. He's got to give me an access code to the house. <laughs> and he like, can't even be bothered to give him the access code. Yeah. And then. Mind you, the previous tenant had to take their rent to court. Right. He they did not. Did he didn't lift a finger to, to yeah, fix anything fix in the house anything. that they needed. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to put work into it. You know. Yeah. We take care of ours. And if you don't, that's called being a slumlord. And we work hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I think, I think, you know, I think it's. I think it's one of those, I mean, like, this is something I believe personally, right? That like, uh, that, you know, that like in our, in, in political discourse, we should be sort of, uh, more ruthless with the, the systems than the individuals who are figureheads of them, right? Um, but I think just the, the sort of symbolic idea of the landlord, right? Is, is, is a holdover from sort of medieval aristocracy, right? And this sort of system of inheritance. And I think, per, you know, I, personally, it's one of those things, it's like, you know, in the system it is, right? As is, right? You know, and, and there's no real comfort or security for for many in the middle class, let alone the you know, lower class, right? Or, the, you know, so it's like that, that people got to do what they got to do to get by. Um, Paycheck away from we don't know what. Yeah. Well, and, Lord in it could trigger a reaction for sure. Yeah, but I mean, I think the Dead Kennedys are sort of going after sort of, you know, those roots and foundations of what American society is, is built on top of, right? And, uh, and, and sort of, um, and I think that's, so trying, they're trying to be provocative and they're trying to be shocking, right? And so that's the, sort of, I think the, the, the purpose of, of that song in particular. Turn the oven on. It smells like Dachau. Yeah. Yeah. yeah see, now I, I was going to bring it up too, Aaron, because one of the things I want, uh, uh, thought we should mention is one of the reasons the band kind of disintegrated is because they felt like the 
the original inspiration for punk was dissipating and it was being overtaken by skinheads, you know, Nazi skinheads and like over, over, um, I guess you would call it early day toxic masculinity or something oh, okay. where it became something that wasn't remotely like what it was at the beginning. You know? yeah. and that, there's, a, there's a really famous, uh, Dead Kennedy song called Nazi punks fuck off. It's not on, uh, yeah. on this album, but on their follow up to this, which is called In God We Trust Incorporated. And, uh, and, and that, that album's kind of fun because, you know, I only had the cassette version, but they, they left the second side blank and, and encouraged you to record your own music and pirate the music industry on the, on the first side of the, of oh, the that cassette. Oh, that must have been popular. <laughs> so, yeah. It was almost yeah. over before it began, you know. It was, it was being taken over by some artificial, you know, similar. kind of, yeah. Okay, so track five is Drug Me. I, I remember seeing that in the documentary. Um, it seemed to be about, uh, being dulled, having the senses dulled by mundane things, not just narcotics. Drug me with natural vitamin C. Life. You Drug know? me with your crossword puzzles. I want to check out, basically. It's what it kind of sounds like. You know? But the fast talking, that's like, um, you ever been stuck in a conversation with somebody who's like all coked out? <laughs> that's kind of what those, the non-chorus yeah. lyrics are like for me in this song. It's like, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, that, that's you right now. I'm going to go to this part of the room. And I right. think this is this is also I mean this is another one of those um trends that you know ran through the the book that I wrote that we we did the interview about last time which I think is like uh you know in on one level America has this like multi billion dollar investment in the drug war and on another level uh America cannot stop selling you pleasurable experiences and like getting you hooked on things and and you know our pharmaceutical industry is one of the largest and most profitable in the world and so uh you know there there's there's um, there's sort of a contradiction between, you know, I mean, I think what I, what, how I framed it in the book is this contradiction between sort of Roman stoicism and sort of unabashed hedonism. Um, but, but I think that that's, I think that song is really, I mean, a lot, you know, as I keep referring to my own art, Dead Kennedy is, I mean, think, you know, I'm trying to do sort of a, a fictional equivalent of sort of some of what they're, they're doing. I mean, I think I might tone it down a little more than they do at times, but, uh, but, you know, it's like, you know, I think that, uh, there's just these contradictions in these currents and they're, and they're not so much because people are meant to have one value or the other. It's, it's sort of meant to divide people and, and you set up these mixed messaging. People sort of don't know what to believe. And, uh, and I think that that's a real, a real thing in American culture. You know? Confusion to control yeah. the masses. Some drugs are good and some drugs are bad. And, you know, and, and then, but like, you know, the, the powerful are benefiting from drug use, no matter whether it's illegal or illegal or otherwise. Right. And so, um, mm-hmm. You know, and in what ways are they benefiting? Right? Yeah. So right. think about when mar- wherever marijuana is legalized, who's the first one to get on on business? You know, it's the politicians and it's the radio talk show hosts and people golf. You know, deals are made on the golf course and shit like that. You know. Yeah. Actually, that's why the uh, marijuana initiative, the first one, failed here in Ohio because a lot of people didn't want the uh, the powers that be to be the powers in the marijuana field. Yeah. Well, they lost, unfortunately. Um, On both counts. Number six is your emotions. I felt like that was a sort of a rejection of people that are, you know, vanity. Of, of, again, looking at kids that uh, are overly concerned about what others think of them and, and the pressure of their parents, that that type of uh, thinking makes one boring and not a very proactive way to live. That's kind of yeah. 
Yeah, just a tape recorder mimicking the of the boars, and then it kind of sounds like King of the Boars when he says mimicking. Yeah, yeah, I like. I think that track's another one that I really like, just on a, on a musical level. I think it's a it's a fun track, and of course, the actor's voice is 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 yeah. You know, he's, he's turning it up a little bit, so yeah, yeah. I don't I think there's he's turned up, but there doesn't seem to be any throwaway tracks. I mean, if it's not the most uh, uh, forward important. to death's not my favorite. That's if I had to cut a track, it'd be forward to death. Forward, forward to death. Yeah, I think it's six oh two five song. I'm sorry. What, what was the beginning of that, Aaron? You said what would not the, if he had to throw away a track? Okay. Yeah, yeah. If I had to cut one song off the album, it would definitely be forward to death. Yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely uh, more iconic songs than others, but I think the reasons this album remains so pop. I mean, you know, as I was, I haven't listened to this album a whole bunch. I mean, it comes on every once in a while when hanging out with mutual old friends and that sort of thing. But, but you know, yeah. I listened to it regularly until I was booked to do it all the way through in 15, 20 years, probably. Yeah. And it really, it works as an app, you know, you know, we, we, we're so invested in, you know, new streaming service allows you to just sort of listen to certain songs on albums over and over again. And, you can really experience this as a as a as a full record with a, with a whole artistic message behind it and sort of peaks and valleys and um, I think that's one of the things that I you know uh, that I don't think all music because I think there are musicians that are still cognizant of that and sort of nostalgic for that type of putting of an album together but but I do think that you know in terms of the the mass culture that that that, that sort of um, idea of how to record and how to present music is has changed, you know, and, and for better or for worse, you know, in some regards. But I think that, you know, you can really feel that in this, in this album. It's put together uh, in a specific order for a specific reason. I, yeah, I yeah. Pretty, pretty, uh, you know, each track seems to at least reinforce the overall message. Um, but so let's go ahead. I, I would call this probably the first of first of the really big tracks on the album, Chemical Warfare. Um, let's go ahead and play a little bit of that. Oh, no, This one in the in the clip you just played, but the, the my favorite part of this song is they go into this like weird circusy, like a like a circus and uh, you know like a dark yeah. <laughs> over a the dark waves horror, horror movie sort of sound, but you know mm-hmm. uh, at, at the end of the song and it's it, just the guitar sounds really cool and, and Jello's voice is sort of like he's sucking helium out of a balloon or something, and it's just a uh, it's it's a fun fun mm-hmm. little breakdown at the end of the song. Yeah. You want me to try to find that here? We found that, Aaron. I, I asked you if you could find out what that Over the Waves by Juventino Rosa. Yeah, it's, it's like one of the most famous Mexican pieces of classical music. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the... the the notes they were playing there. Right. Okay. Very punk rock there. 
So that was the end of the first side. Uh, yeah, I don't want to gloss over that. What is anybody else got any comments about that? I mean, that's a major track, I think. It seemed to be a declaration of war in the, the like the conservative upper class. It's like yeah. bring the fight right to the to the golf course. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's one of the you know, this is one of those things that I find uh, the idea of a war crime, right? Because I think you know, uh, is interesting, right? Like you know, and even like chemical warfare, right? Like uh, in a lot of countries, tear gas is considered chemical warfare, but we still fire it at protesters in in America, right? But uh, but I think that you know, the idea of a war crime is sort of an interesting thing, right? Because one level, yes, you don't want people using the most horrifying technology that exists to conduct war and, and trying to cause uh, overt pain, right? But also sort of the point of war is to cause overt pain in there. I'm not sure that there's an ethical way to conduct it uh, correctly, right? <laughs> so, I mean, at the end of the day, you're still killing people. Um, and so, I, uh, but but I also think that there, you know, as long as you're conducting war, that you, you do probably want to keep chemical weapons uh, out of it, right? But but it's just one of those interesting uh, contradictions again that I'm not sure you like, can when you really like start the to neutron bomb it's yeah, going to leave the building standing yeah right. I mean he says that line in the not good for overseas but but good at home right so like you know yeah. destroying property is ideal overseas but but not at home right um, but yeah I mean I think it's you know uh, it's one of those things when you really start thinking about it it's hard to, to pick apart right because there's not a lot of logical uh, sense behind why it's okay to kill in one way and not another right uh uh like, like if you if you really wanted to hold that value, it'd just be like you shouldn't kill people for political gain, right? Uh, uh, but right. but you know, but we've set up these standards, and then they become normalized, and people have a discourse around them, like um, uh, that th- these people are good because they conduct war in the right way; these people are evil because they don't. And I think probably the better standard is to think of anyone that's conducting war, especially as it's serving an upper class interest against a and using lower class people and sacrificing them to do it is is just yeah. unethical in general, right? So yeah, so and it's a bad look to plot war on a on a back nine of a golf course. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, what really? That's where it happens. But and so let's uh, let's move along because this the first out the first track on this the second half of the or the other side of the album, California Uberalis. We talked about that being the first single. You're right, that was the first single. Um, I was right. I think I was relying on Wikipedia. <laughs> but let's go ahead and play that and talk about that for a minute. I am Governor Jerry Brown. My heart smiles and never frowns. Soon I will be president. Got a power of soon delay. I will be scared one day. I will command all of you. You can't come in and date in school. You can't come in and date in school. California, Oberalis. A lot to unpack there. First of all, is yeah, a date. I mean, Jerry Brown. I mean, who who likes stabs uh, voodoo dolls of Jerry Brown? You know what I'm saying? Oh. I mean, it's, <laughs> Jerry. It's kind of ironic. I think it's more the comedic irony because Jerry Brown was the governor after Reagan. Mm-hmm. So they'd just gotten over the Reagan era in California. He's still, you know, saying that you know, Jerry Brown's the you know, fascist right. head of state that's going to be president. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think also, I think, uh, you know, um, 
and Jello's Jello's going. You know, I mean, they they have another version of this. Probably got a bigger problem now that that goes after Reagan. So mm-hmm. they kind of do both of them. Uh, that one's sort of more lounge weird jazz version, but it's the same chorus and same a lot of the same sort of idea behind it. But I think um, I think he's you know he's poking fun at, at liberals in that song. He's you know I think saying you know that's you know, being better than Republicans isn't really uh, enough. You know, <laughs> but I mean I think it's, it's also. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also, I think there's a... He's not a Republican! I, I'm, I guess I'm sensitive to this as somebody who lives in Texas, right? That, uh, you know, oftentimes our state gets leveraged in these debates in a really kind of ugly way, and, and uh, northern state liberals sort of, who are living comfortably blue states, sort of just let them secede or just, you know, uh, leave them alone or, or whatever, and, uh, you know, 45, 46% of the states, you yeah. know, left-leading liberal people, you know, who would support a lot of the same values that you do. Um, and I think that, you know, in a lot of it's turning California, purple. Yeah, in California, just, just a couple of months ago, uh, you know, they've been using these prisoners who are unpaid eventually to put out wildfires and, uh, claim that, that they're for volunteering. Years. And, uh, and a, and a state senator brought it up for an amendment to their state constitution, making, uh, slavery illegal in their prison system and it got shot down by mostly liberal Congress, right? And so, you know, it's it's a uh, one of those things where you know liberals will talk about how backwards Texas is, but I think uh, voting to not strike down slavery as a as a legal doctrine in the 21st century is uh, pretty backwards as well, as well, right? So I think Jello is sort of yeah. sort of picking at both sides. Yeah, I think it's it's a really it's a really good song. It's really well put yeah. together. It's a little bit dated by the illusions. I mean, he goes into some things that are obscure about. Uh, uh, Jerry Brown's things that he mentioned in speeches and stuff that I think they've been lost to time. Um, you know, Biafra hated, uh, hippie culture. I mean, he was complicated. You know, like you said, he was, uh, he had, he, he, he was surrounded on all sides. You know, he took on everybody. And, but it's, it was a great song, but it's almost a victim of its, of its own. You know, it's like, what is the meme now if you refer to Hitler or he's Hitler or something that's, there's a trope about it. I remember Sean told us, he told me about it. I don't know. If you use that, it's like you've already lost the argument if you say someone, you know, is Hitler because it's, I don't It's know. too easy. To yeah. Go there. I think, I think it's, uh, and I also think it, just in, personally, I think, uh, the way we look at history, right? That, uh, I mean, I think Jello is using a, a sort of specific way. And I think a lot of punk rock is anti, oh, you know, what about anti or anti fascist, right? Uh, in its leanings, but I think, um, use it, like Hitler was an evil man. There's no doubt about that. But using him as like the exceptionally evil man in history, uh, when a lot of rulers have done some pretty, uh, pretty bad stuff, right? And it's, it's, and, and what Hitler did was, was, you know, that pat, we have seen that historical yeah. pattern, seen that historical pattern before Hitler when it was done to African people or indigenous people or whatever. It's, it's, you know, just not as shocking <laughs> and to, to the white, you know, to the white middle class who talks about World War II, right? Um, and so I think, uh, any, using any historical figure in a sort of, I think either pro or bad, right? I think the same is true of using a figure like MLK is exceptionally good. MLK was a normal guy and he was exceptionally brave, I, I suppose, in some ways, but I think it's a way of keeping people from thinking that they could. Kind of, well, yeah, and he did bad stuff yeah, as well. But, yeah, um, but I think, you know, yeah. All of us are capable of that level of, of bravery if we believe in something right. And that, you know, when we paint people as exceptional, we sort of put the idea in people's heads that they can't change history. They can't change the world. I think when you 
paint figures as exceptionally evil, you sort of deflect people from those historical patterns that show that, you know, systems yeah. create a, systems create a lot of this, right? Like Hitler was not one guy. He had a whole party behind him helping him, right? Like there was a, you know, I mean, Trump wasn't one guy, right? Trump had a whole group of people that were, you know, doing overt, ugly things in politics, right? And there's a lot of people are still around and still causing a lot of problems. And so, yeah, like, um, Bannon. <laughs> yeah, and when we do what's what, what, you know, what the historian Howard Zinn, who I think Jello Biafra's guy who would be in support of would say is that, you know, this great man of history theory, this way of telling history through the perspective of world leaders and generals and always kind of folks is flawed because you have these whole, uh, you have, one, you have movements behind those people, but you also have these whole histories of these working class movements where we don't know the names of the people, but we can pretty clearly see what their actions as a collectified unit against the power structure we're doing. And, and that it's both those forces sort of fighting with each other that are creating the historical currents and, and, uh, and yeah, and so I, I, I yeah, that's what that would be my comment on sort of how, how we think about Hitler. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Well, it seems like kids will meditate in school. You will jog yeah. for the master race. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, in the, in the song, I think it's just sort of funny. He's taking this guy that's thought of, I mean, you know, Jerry Brown would be uh, today would be like the equivalent of uh, uh, somebody like, I don't know. He's probably a little bit farther left than like the Clintons or something, but he's like this mainstream liberal figure. Uh, Dating and, and Linda Ronstadt at the time. Yeah. And portraying him in this sort of ultra right kind of way. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just a, a juxtaposition that's meant to sort of one, sort of show that there are some similarities between the two major ruling parties and two to sort of um, just to poke fun at the way that that. Suited stormtroopers. Jerry Brown might have made some, you know, I think he ran for president. He might have made some changes that were beneficial to, to working people, but he wasn't going to up, you know, the way they talk about Joe Biden, like he's some kind of crazy communist. It's like, Joe Biden's not doing anything to he's, upset the he's real the most power. Moderate guy. power. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, it's 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 just a, it's a political tool. He's a that centrist. Right yeah, mm-hmm. it's a political tool the right uses to drum up fear, and I think that's like what Jello is kind of poking fun at in a lot of ways. I think a lot of this album is sort of you know you could, yeah. like he's not a in character in all the songs, but I think he's if you think about it, he's like the the vo- voice is he's singing as like a cartoon version of the right wing politician right so uh all the yeah. songs have that kind of threat like kill the is like yeah well it's like else. for instance track number nine i kill children yeah. you know that, that seems like it was well, totally one more thing on california Uberalis, though. it's yeah. it's the first yeah. of two frank zappa references on this album um it can't happen here is a frank zappa song and then um, on some of the early pressings on the uh on the out track they printed on it, um, Who Are the Brain Police, which is another Frank Zappa song. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and Frank Zappa and Jello Biafra were both uh, pretty big critics of Tipper Gore, who you know, started right. the parental advisory warnings on yeah. Yeah, MRC. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the idea to do his own. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I kill children. That seems to be that's an attention grabber. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think that it's a. a I really don't think it's about a serial killer. I think it's more of satire. Um, they were trying. I, I feel like they maybe they were trying to smoke out their enemies with this provocation by putting titles like that and um, the more probably the the, the fuller song um, "Kill the Poor" at the beginning. Those types of songs are, are there to grab attention. I think well, um, at the time too, like you know, the, the other side from punk rock, the other big 
like sort of alternative music thread going was heavy metal music and all these heavy metal artists were getting accused of like you play the records backwards you can hear all these like messages and i think the dead kings are like what if we just make the message the song you know like like uh you know yeah let's just go for it backwards you know uh play it backwards you get like some love song but but again right like you know it's a you know i mean if if the job of the american president is to head the military and there's a sort of understanding that collateral damage and any sort of aerial assault that we conduct overseas is going to kill some some children you know and 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 uh and you get to sit behind a desk and do that, you know, I think it's a... Uh, yeah, it fits the narrative for sure. It's not untrue. Yeah. There are a lot of songs on this album that do mention dead children explicitly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Stealing people's mail, that seems like a minor offense compared to some of these other things. It's but one of the more dated uh, references, I guess. Yeah, probably <laughs> so. Yeah, but it's less like... important now than it was then. Mm-hmm. But it's like yeah. you're catching felonious consequences to acts. By doing that, that doesn't make those acts any easier to enforce. It's like the, the authority, the powers that be cannot stomp their feet and make uh, stealing mail a uh, felony and expect that to stop people from doing something as simple and as stealing you mail. You would know because you've had a guy sticking yes. with your mail over the years. Well, I yeah. think, um, I think that, you know, it, it calls attention. I mean, I think, you know, the dead kids get called a political punk band. There's a lot of sort of, um, art critics who would say, you know, all art is political in some way or another. And, and pretty much all of human existence is in some ways political. And I think in a more very real way, political, though. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, in, but I think in some ways, like when we think about something like crime, right? Crime is a political construction. We, we have this term political prisoner, but. All prisoners are political prisoners because all uh, politics dictate how the laws get written, right? What what gets enforced and what doesn't, you know? And and uh, and and something like you know stealing mail versus you know there there are other things that there are crimes that happen all the time. I think some people say like you know if you were to actually enforce uh, uh, what's the what's the uh, we'll be uh, drugged and shocked till we come out born again yeah. Christians. If you were to actually enforce some financial crime, right, that they, they would like bring Wall Street to a to a halt, right? And like make the stock market dip, you know? So but that's not thought of as crime in the same way that robbery or you know, I don't mail sort of falls in this category. I think they're just kind of joking around, but I think it calls attention to like what is a what is a felony really, you know? <laughs> so yeah. Just real quick, um the post office does have its own legislative arm, i.e. a police force, and they do not have to follow the conventions of um, reading your rights or following them. Interesting. Only the daughter of a letter carrier, letter carrier would know that. Dad wanted to try and join their police force. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think no, time's okay. grown short here, so let's let's buzz through a couple of these other ones. Uh, Sunday at the Real Beach, quick. again, I think that's kind of reinforced this idea of violence and especially making it uh, very visceral by talking about mm-hmm. children. It seems to be about life spinning out of control, politics, um, things coming to a head. Kind um, of a roller coaster yeah. going off the track and crushing children. Crushing children, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Ill More in, dead children. Ill in the Head seems to be number 12. Track 12 is called Ill in the Head. I love the way, the, I love the guitar in this. It yeah, seems The music in that one's really good, yeah. Yeah, it seems to mimic this, this sense of madness, you know. 
um, to reinforce that. Um, doesn't really introduce any like new concepts or anything that haven't that aren't more important songs like maybe Uberalis and Chemical Warfare, but it just kind of reinforces this overall theme of chaos, violence, and anarchy. Help me hold. hate the world. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now this is my favorite track, number thirteen, Holiday in Cambodia. That that song rocks. That's like the mag or the what we will call that the Magnus op the Magnum Opus. <laughs> that's that's one of their most famous songs, and it's about the you know yeah. Cambodian leader Pol Pot, and uh, and you know it has this really cool bass line that he's playing two strings at a time and creating all this dissonance right. on on it, and, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a cool. Song, yeah. I think it's deserving of a play here, especially sure. at the beginning. I think there's a lot of great things musically and philosophically and, going on. And in shout out to Dr. Seuss because there's a Starbelly Sneech lyric. In okay, let's hear a little bit. Just an amazing song, I think. Yeah, I think I think, um, I think it really it, it's really a song that encompasses all of the dead Kennedys, right? Like it's a sort of this this comedic idea of like going to take you know a vacation in a in a <laughs> in a in a country that's undergoing you know death squads ru- running through it, right? In a in a sort of crazy dictator, and, and, uh, and you know, but it's also like the dead Kennedys are doing this sort of darkly humorous thing that's not actually funny, but it's overt overt in its presentation and you should just like imagine like a travel agent's brochure to go vacation in Cambodia and it's just a it's a it's a funny and also pretty tragic image and you know it's the uh, I think uh yeah I think it's it's the dead Kennedys for sure and, and then just the sounds that they you know I think like I, I think like you know I wonder how much like Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine would give credit to East Bay Ray for some of the stuff that he picks up later because I mean they're doing a lot of those sound effects without you know not real electronic equipment, just traditional instruments. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, they're I think political. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah. And they're in the same vein politically. So, you know, I just think like it's Angelo's voice is really, you know, out there in that track when he comes in the song, it's an instant, his presence in the song. And so, yeah, I think it's a, it's an iconic Dead Kennedy song. It's probably a lot of people's favorite Dead Kennedy's track. So, yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's a noob, I guess, you know, uh, you might like a deeper cut better, but off of this album, to me, this was the best. But I mean, I loved, uh, to me, it evoked a Pink Floyd, um, like Astronomy Domini, that beginning sounded a little like really early Pink Floyd, like Nick Mason's doing this, uh, Saucer Full of Secrets tour, yeah. uh, right now. Some of the songs off of that evoked that. And, um, yeah. you know, did you notice 
I don't know if you know, I mean, if you listen to it, you notice that Jello uses the N word in it, which is very mm-hmm. risky. You know, if you're taking a yeah. risk. I think, um, that that, I would, I would be interested to know what he would feel about it now, right? I think, um, I think to use it ironically, he's not using it, I think, in a sincere way. I think he's making fun of people who think that way, but, uh, but that's become sort of, uh, verboten and sort of, uh, in a lot of left wing circles yeah, these days, you me. just uh, just shouldn't use the word at all, right? But uh, right. but I don't know that it was in, in 1980, right? And so, um, but but I mean, I think I think it's uh, it's interesting though. I mean, he also uses bitch to refer to to you know the rich guy's wife in that song, and you know he's, he does some stuff like that. That's uh, I think that people probably wouldn't do in satire as much anymore. Um, uh, but you know, I think I think. It'd be interesting to it'd just be interesting to hear his per- perspective on that. Um, uh, but I mean, I think he was he was using it in that way to sort of call right. attention to that that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. disgusting that people think like that. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, you might not get away with that today, but um, you know. Uh, so I'm thinking Geezer Butler, the baseline, little Geezer Butler, and then we were talking. I was trying to to nail. The song from Pulp Fiction that the guitar reminded me of. I mean, it was, I just had a lot, musically. I just thought it was really a mess. It was you know, kind of the good. opening with Pulp Fiction, right? Um, or am I? Yeah, a song called "Miserloo" by Dick Dale and the Del the Deltones from Pulp yeah, Fiction. Yeah. You know, it's by a large body. He's Bay Ray, probably. You know, I think he's probably surely influenced by Dick Dale, sort of just the way his guitar sounds and. He plays Fender amp, and so it's just you know sort of uh, yeah. Yeah. That song. yeah, yeah, yep, that's it. Uh, well, we should talk about uh, uh, one more song. Really quick, Viva Las Vegas was the best the version of Viva Las Vegas. Yeah, let's see yeah, well, Las Vegas here. And I think that's uh, to me that's uh, I love that song. I mean, this came along. Uh, well, I guess it's you know, probably not too far off in terms of time period, but you know. Uh, Hunter Thompson's, you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It's sort of, yeah, you know, I think, I think even the movie version, I think that might be the track that rolls on the credits if I, if I remember correctly. But, uh, but yeah. I just think that that song is really, you know, Las Vegas is, I had, I hadn't ever been to Vegas until this past summer, actually, not this past summer, summer before. Um, uh, my wife and I had a layover in Las Vegas on our way back from Portland, like a 10 hour layover. And, uh, it is pretty striking, just this sort of completely constructed, City in the desert that's Weird just all place. about, yeah. all about like where dreams are made and where, you know, uh, people are ruined. <laughs> and like, uh, and it's just a sort of, now, now they're going to be out of water. Yeah. And I think Jello really, you know, he just, I mean, they don't, I, mean, I think they change a couple lines in the song, but I mean, they really just sort of, yeah. just by like, just by the way he sings that song, it's sort of, but he yeah. uses a, a southern voice. He's got a healthy disdain for Elvis. There's a quote he made. He said, you know, Elvis was a redneck. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think, uh, oh. I think we should definitely, we should be critical of that in our, our modern context. And, and surely we should be, you know, I think it's also important to be critical of in the past while also maintaining that distance of that, you know, but that's, that's, I think, what, you know, again, getting to that systems versus people sort of critiques. I think the more we get away from sort of, um, uh, throw it, we, we, we throw things at popular figures because we live in a sort of celebrity worship culture, right? But like, the more that we realize that, like, you know, none of us are, are thinking, uh, thinking on our own anyways, right? We were all sort of collectively, uh, consuming media and consuming thoughts and, and, uh, having those things out in culture and that, you know, 
the way these thoughts are manifested is, is by something deeper than just coming out of one individual's head, right? <laughs> so, um, and I think, you know, the more that we can understand that, the more chance we have of, of maybe eliminating some of this stuff in the, in the future, right? But yeah. But, but just like, like this, album, part of the this, this, this album, this song had an edge. This song yeah. was not throwaway. This was not just a cover. He was taking shots at Elvis here. There's no doubt about it. Not just Elvis. Elvis had just died like a couple of years before that too. Yeah. I think he calls attention to, um, you know, the dead Kennedys are doing this cartoonish satirical sort of thing, but you know, Las yeah. Vegas itself is this very cartoonish place, you know, and, and it's a celebrated place in a, in America and in American culture. And so, um, I think he's just sort of, you think we're, you think we're crazy and, out there and bizarre and whatever, but like, look at this iconic place you set up and, uh, and how crazy and yeah. that place is. Well, so, people yeah. are so rich and go on a weekend and blow $30,000 and not even feel it. Yeah. It's insane. You know, all right. Even if I ran out of speed, boy, I wouldn't sleep a minute away. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, uh, well, Mike, I think we've reached the end of the road here. We went over a little bit. I hope you don't, uh, no, 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 no worries. Um, I do, I do got a gift, but I appreciate y'all having me yeah. back on and indulging yeah. my, my love of punk rock. You know, it's yeah. not everybody's cup of tea, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, and yeah. again, I think, you know, it, it matches the, uh, the sort of literary aesthetic I'm going for. And that was why I sort of su- suggested it. And, uh, just want to say that. before, sure. you know, if I can plug, plug myself real quick, just to, um, yeah, yeah, plug, plug it all. Plug. Yeah, Madville Publishing. Uh, my book came out, my, my debut fiction collection, Judgment Day and Other White Lies. I came out from them in February of this year. You can get it pretty much at you know, whatever it's very favorite good. online bookstore you'd like to, the, buying it from the publishers. Always more recommended if you can. Um, it's M-A-D-V-I-L-L-E Publishing. Uh, and then, you know, I'm on Twitter, Mike Hilbig, and, uh, and, and Facebook and Instagram, all the social media. So look me up and I'm, I'm working on my, my debut novel as we speak. Uh, I don't know how soon it is in the, Works. It's kind of getting pretty big, and uh, but I got about sixty thousand. Mike Hilbig. Yeah, I got about sixty thousand words on it on over the summer. So, uh, you know, probably at least halfway there on the rough draft. So, in any case, but yeah, thanks yeah. for having me back on, and uh, you know, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming right. back. Thanks, thanks for the suggestion. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, right. I think I'll play a little Las Vegas as we go out. Okay. City gonna set my soul, it's gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up high. There's a thousand pretty women moving out there. They're all eating, the devil may care. And I'm just a devil with love to spare, so We have social. Twitter. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Hey.